Hi, everybody, and welcome to Therefore I Geek, episode 110. I'm Andrew. I'm Tracy. And I'm outside my comfort zone. Like, way outside. People are wearing tights for, I don't know, non-sexual reasons, I guess? Yeah, I don't get that. Capes flutter in the breeze. Capes and masks. I mean, dudes into capes and masks, but for entirely different reasons. Totally different stuff. (laughs) Alright, so this week we're going to be talking about Marvel's Infinity Gauntlet. Uh, But before we get into that, we have a few news stories. We have the Star Wars The Last Jedi uh, teaser trailer. We have the Thor Ragnarok full trailer. And we have a controversy surrounding a Marvel artist who really committed pretty epic career suicide. Yeah, it was was pretty bad on his part. You know, you know me. I'm I'm always someone who tries to defend the indefensible. But and I spent some time on this topic. Like I, I kind of like dug through it for a little while. And uh, nope, nope, nope. There's nothing to defend him. Yeah. Nope. Nope. All right. So yeah, let, let's let's actually go ahead and ju- just jump into that one. Marvel released X Men Gold number one, which is a fairly and highly anticipated title. It's Marvel's return to the X Men Blue and Gold teams from back in the early 90s, like the Jim Lee, Chris Claremont era. And in X-Men Gold number one, after it was released in Indonesia, people became aware that the artist Arden Saif had quietly inserted a large number of references into his art to protests going on in his native Indonesia, specifically with regards to the Christian governor of Jakarta. And... What the the local interpretation of these references to the Quran, the the local interpretation is that they shouldn't trust or vote for this individual based on his religion. Those of us in the United States, numbers didn't really mean squat. No, not at all. This kind of went right by the uh, American audiences, and it took Indonesian fans to kind of say, hey, you might not be aware of this, but there's crap in your comic books right now. So Marvel went out and made a public statement as follows. The mentioned artwork in X-Men Gold number one was inserted without knowledge behind its reported meanings. These implied references do not reflect the views of the writer, editors, or anyone else at Marvel and are in direct opposition to the inclusiveness of Marvel Comics and what the X-Men have stood for since their creation. This artist will be removed from subsequent printings. Sorry, this artwork will be removed from subsequent printings, digital versions, and trade paperbacks, and disciplinary action is being taken. By that, they mean they fired his butt. Right, so fast forward a few more days, and we hear from the artist, basically on on Twitter, saying, my career is over now, it's the consequence of what I did, and I take it. Please no more mockery, debate, no more hate. I hope all in peace. And then Marvel promptly fired his ass. He wants no more debate, even though he said a very controversial thing. I think he there's an earlier statement somewhere in there where he kind of doubles down on what he wrote. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Actually, I did. I did. So his earlier message is, "Hello, worlds. My career is over now. It's the consequence of what I did, and I take it. Please, no more mockery, debate, no more hate. I hope all is in peace. In this last chance, I want to tell you the true meaning of the numbers 212 and QS5 colon 51. It is the number of justice. It is the number of, of love. It is my love of the Holy Quran, my love to the last prophet, the messenger, my love to Allah, the one God. My, apolog- my apologies for all the noise. Goodbye. May God bless you. May God bless you all. I love you all. 
So what's interesting is did you describe what the two the two panels in question were? I don't remember if you mentioned that, but because one not. of them is Kitty Pride, and she's like the new leader of the X Men, and she's facing what appears to be a perturbed crowd, and I don't know what the context of this is, but if you look carefully to the left of her head, there's a sign for a jewelry store, but the way she's positioned, it really just says Jew, like directly next to her head. And then on the opposite uh, side of her head, it says 212. 212, which is the reference to the protests that occurred on the 2nd of December last year against the Christian Chinese governor of Jakarta, on the claim that he blasphemed, and I don't remember exactly what he had said, but right now I believe he's, like, being charged with it. And then, in continuing to the right, there's a, guy, a blonde white guy in kind of a muscle shirt. He's, like, really fit looking. Actually, most people in here, even the fat guy looks, kind of got some good biceps here. Uh, and it has 51 on his shirt, which re uh, refers to the 551 verse in the Quran. That basically says uh, Muslims should not have Christians or Jews as leaders. Right. And then further down, as if not to, if as if to make it more obvious, I guess to to the audiences he's talking to, there's a panel where Colossus is playing baseball, and right on his shirt it says QS five colon fifty one. Right. Kind of like the way like Tim Tebow had like John three sixteen on his uh, eye black eye patch stuff. Yeah, the eye yeah, black like, stuff. Yeah. Like like why would Colossus <laughs> be wearing that shirt? And of all the quotes to pick from the Quran, it's the don't have Christians or Jews as your leader. Right. Uh, oops. I mean, it, this dude committed epic career suicide. So historically, it is not uncommon for artists to hide little things in the artwork of comics. Uh, Tracy yep. and I have a, a friend who has a relation, a family member in comics, and he's been known to hide their family name in license plates or like hidden in scroll work on a on a wrought iron fence or something mm -hmm. you know that kind of stuff and even veiled political stuff has, has made it through there was one particular instance in i think in the mid 90s when a marvel editor had gotten fired and one of the artists had scribbled in a little message telling off the editor who had gotten fired basically it was a bookcase and all the titles of the book went th went through and basically had a little message telling this guy off Interestingly enough, that was also an artist who got shit canned. I was going to say so, that's a little blatant. Yep. Yeah. So the actual quote, or at least the translation to English for the of the Quran, because I didn't get it quite right, is, "O you who have believed, do not take the Jews and Christians as allies. They are, in fact, allies of one another. And whoever is an ally of them among you, then indeed he is of he is one of them. Indeed, Allah guides not the wrongdoing people." Even That's that it. translation is a little off going to English. Uh, yeah, G, G. Willow, it is. G. Willow Wilson, who is a comic artist, who's also a Muslim, had a rather long post. Well, we'll see if we can put that in the show notes, talking about what the actual meanings in Arabic are. Because uh, at least from what she is saying, the meaning of certain particular words that they're translating to ally or leader mm -hmm. have very specific meanings, even still, that are fairly consistent, have been fairly consistent. It has more to do with legal representation in courts and things i'd uh, have to see what i have to, i'd have to see what her explanation is but nevertheless like, well i mean i mean she straight up call it basically calls this dude an asshat and basically says hey look you've you've done yourself harm you've done you know harm to aspiring artists who you know maybe lumped in with your beliefs 
Mm-hmm. Sure. And we talked about this kind of beforehand, and it, it, it's clearly an issue of, you know, your bosses didn't pay for this. Right. Right. You, you were hired to do a very specific job. You were not being paid to drop little messages about Indonesian geopolitics and race relations for Marvel. Right. And right. the fact that he did it surreptitiously just kind of shows that, you know, this is not so it's one thing to drop little like nods to your friends. Sure. Like ha- like a high mom in a chain link fence or something or or a shout out to like a fraternity that you were a part of a college, something like that. It's quite another to seem seemingly take an obvious stand about <laughs> race relations and geopolitics in Jakarta in an American comic book. That mm-hmm. also the writer for this book is also Jewish. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's a really you know, and isn't Kitty Pride Jewish? Yes, and her creator is Jewish. I don't think Claremont is Jewish. Okay, creators and, of the X Men certainly were though. Creators, of the, I mean, creators of most of the Marvel universe, right? J- Stan yeah. Lee, Jack Kirby, Steve Ditko, yeah, um, Mark Guterman, yeah, Guttenheim. Sorry, yeah, really, just yeah, just don't do do stupid stuff like this. If you're gonna drop a little, uh. Hint, like, try and make it innocuous that it doesn't just infuriate your boss. Or, or be entertaining, because, like, there was yeah. a, there's an artist back when Grant Morrison was run, doing a run on X-Men who decided to work the word sex into the art somewhere in every page uh, in one in one particular issue. <laughs> I think sure he actually... A lot of people. I, th- I think he actually pulled it off. You know, you'd be surprised that you don't really notice it as much as you'd mm-hmm. think. He was kind of doing his nod to the Lion King. Yeah, yeah something like that. All right, so let's let's start with let's start with the Star Wars teaser. Okay. So what did you guys think? Oh, there there wasn't. I didn't feel like there was a whole lot there, and I think we posted this actually on the Therefore I Geek page. Teaser trailers have I have a hard time with them because you know they give you flashes and you're like, okay, cool, but I kind of already. I mean, it's just basically like a reminder that they're making that movie. Yeah, it's it gonna like, be good. Th- this was like the definition of teaser. Yep. Like, yeah. Here's an image. Here's an image. Here's an image. Here's an image. Star Wars. Do you have an erection yet? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, even the, you know, Disney does that really well. Even the beauty, the live action Beauty of the Beast tre- teaser trailer that came out like 18 months ago or longer, when that first dropped, it was kind of like flash, 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 rose. And then the music. Yeah. And you're like, well, well, what else? So that's kind of I mean, how I feel here, too. Let, let's be honest. Corporate Overlord is really good at separating us from our wallet, you know, the money from our wallets. <laughs> Especially Disney corporate overlord right now. They no, are on that, a that is, tear. That is corporate overlord. Oh, yeah. That's, that's not they like, own us all. That's Let's not like honest. a corporate. That's the corporate overlord. I mean, it's going to turn out that Pepsi and Coca-Cola are owned by the same person. And, it's <laughs> and he never died. He's in a vault somewhere just rubbing his hands together and counting his gold. <laughs> Scrooge McDuck runs everything. <laughs> exactly. I, on, a, on a side note, have you guys seen that they're doing a new DuckTales series yes i yes. did see I that yeah that, that looks fantastic especially with uh, what's his name as scrooge mcduck the from doctor who uh david Tennant. yep although yeah, cue all the of... damn fan theories remember when we talked about fan theories i've heard non-stop fan theories ever since ducktales started talking it's ridiculous oh. i mean like did you know that donald duck went off to war and blah, blah, and i'm like oh <laughs> no that's what? just people making memes to fuck with other people that's not a fan yeah. theory that's just people being dicks. 
I, I think the only thing that comes out of the Star Wars trailer that really is worth noting is that one line at the end where you, you hear what sounds like Mark Hamill saying, it's time for the Jedi to end. Yeah. And that's like really it. You're like, oh, what does that mean? It, and means, then I it think, means he's old and bitter. Yeah. And then I'm sitting there just going, I, I'm having a hard time getting excited about this franchise. Like it's really, it's really hard for me to get jazzed about this. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean really... I'm excited, but like. It's a teaser. Give, give, me, a teaser. give, give yeah. me the real meat and I'll be happier. All right, so so now going on the, the Thor Ragnarok trailer. Tracy, since you just watched this. I literally just watched it. So I've been sort of without internet for a few days because I've been on the road for work and then for, for fun for the Easter weekend. And this was really fun. Actually, this is going to be a beautiful movie. I'm, I wasn't a big fan of the Thor movies prior to this. He's a little... Um, he doesn't quite fit in the world they plunk him into, at least cinematically. And I, I have always hated Natalie Portman. I don't know why. I just don't like her. So the early well, she, ones... She phoned really in her, her performances in the first two films. She hated oh, making those movies. Yeah. Big, it was very obvious. So yeah, I was she like... She hated making them. I, I was way more into Captain America. I was way more into Iron Man. But this looks like it's going to be a whole lot of fun. Uh, there's a really f- funny moment in it that made me laugh. And, of course, the guys already knew what it was. So they were waiting for my reaction. Uh, yeah, it, it looks like it's going to be a lot of fun movie. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. Dude, is this is this something, a superhero movie you might be interested in? Not even a little bit. Nope. <laughs> like, yeah. not even, like a, like, a smidge. Like, once the... One, I think someone can write a PhD dissertation on Tom Hiddleston's appeal because I don't understand it at all. I've never gotten it. People, people love them, but you're, you're I just, anatomically I'm, incorrectly equipped. Yeah, I just don't get. I don't get even in like non-superhero Tom Hiddleston stuff, like Kong, and uh, yeah. See, I didn't really like him in Kong. Crimson Peach. Oh, not Peach. Uh, Crimson Peak. Which you you could probably do two dissertations on the appeal of Tom Hiddleston and why that happens, and then the appeal of Guillermo del Toro. And I don't understand Guillermo del Toro at all. No, I, I don't, don't get, get it either. It. I don't know. I don't get it. I like think he's he, cool he's... in his badass roles, like in that um that most recent um James Bond movie. You're thinking, where he's no no like, no stop stop no, no. stop. You're thinking no. Benicio del Toro. Yeah yeah. Guillermo del Toro is the director. The director. He, oh, did, I'm did sorry. Help, did yes, Hellboy, Pan's Labyrinth, Crimson Peak, Pacific Rim, Pacific Rim. No, I don't. I never. So these are the two guys I never understood their appeal. To me, the, so I'm not a fan of the Thor franchise either. I thought the first one was trash. I never bothered with the second one. I will get. I will concede that Tracy is right. This looks like a movie this time. It actually like they were like, oh, we actually have a cinematic look here. Other than that, I hated everything about it. I I did. I was like, they used Zeppelin, and I'm like, stop. Like the second I heard Zeppelin start playing, I was like, crap, they're gonna do Guardians of the Galaxy crap. I don't and think I don't think they are. I think they did. I, I, I think they did in the trailer. I don't think they're going to in the actual film. They certainly look like they did it in the I trailer. Mean, the immigrant song slightly fits the the thor feel in terms maybe yeah sure in, in terms of it's, it's like with the immigrant songs so it's like the vikings and stuff so that's why that's why they went with that i understand why they went with it right I, but I i'm you. but i'm i'm saying like guardians of the galaxy had an overall like arching overarching idea behind that i think they just said hey this is a cool cool upbeat song that's talks about vikings let's use it for the trailer like i don't think that's going to be in the film oh no i don't think it'll be in the film either it probably won't be but it definitely was trying to go with this retro look especially with the kind of in-between text graphics and just that overall kind of 
the costumes and stuff like that. Costumes to me, I mean, it, it looked far more like Jack Kirby than than I think Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. I mean, even that ending where it's like the way the the lettering is done, it just. This is one of those things where I think I'm going to be in the distinct minority as everyone was getting pumped for it. And like four seconds into this trailer, I'm like, well, this is something I'm not going to want to see. I really, truly, truly don't know what goes on when you watch movie trailers. I've tried. I can. I can usually like I can. I can it, put it's kind of like a clockwork orange. He pops with little eye retainers in and he just yeah. kind of sits there and, <laughs> and, and, really and forces himself. And people guessing. The one thing you can't say then is I'm predictable. Uh, I wouldn't say that. You're pre- you're predictably an ass. Like you're mm-hmm. you're, no. you're gonna hate. I definitely will hate. But like so so there's this behind the scenes long format interview with Tom Hiddleston that some chick did. I don't even know about his breakup with Taylor Swift. Which Taylor Swift is a person I don't understand. I'm not even sure she's <clears throat> a real person. I'm fairly certain that she's actually a Barbie and someone's put like animatronics inside her and a screaming um, maybe goat. some fairly sophisticated ai and i don't, I don't and get it goat. it can't be that good point have you not, not seen the it's... screaming goat videos of her no oh put well... those in the show notes <laughs> those are great i can't stand her so i will totally put anything that puts her in a bad light in the in the show notes yeah um I, I so there's this interview with tom hiddleston up. and i'm like okay he's he's got like this quirky sort of very intelligent sense of humor that's not my thing He's a little scrawny for me. I like bigger guys. Bigger and dumber. Right. Well, no, no, he's <laughs> not. <laughs> no, he's got his own little. Thing. Like he's got his intelligence. So that's not really my thing. <laughs> he's scrawny. Okay. Like you literally described a jock. No, I don't like jocks either. But I do like him bigger. He's like very, very slender and whatnot. I and I guess that's really in right now. But I could put myself in the head of a person who does like Tom Hiddleston and be like, all right, I can see how that's appealing. You, you, mean, dude? Like, you mean like stop no and scoop their brains out? I mean, how are we doing this? Well, it's usually like a quarter of the brain, and it has nothing to do with with sexual appeal at all. Oh, okay, because I was waiting for like, it's like I like I don't like scrawny dudes because I don't want them to sink into me when they're on top. I just don't want that to happen. Ugh. <laughs> no, I I just don't like it when they're like concave in the middle, like their chest is here, and then they're just like they dip inward. Ooh. At the I just belly. don't like that at all. Yeah. Yeah. I like not... flat is fine, but concave? Ooh. <laughs> no, I don't get it either. I'll just agree with We've gone bizarrely off the rails on this one here. I'm not exactly yeah. sure how, but Yeah, I'm not sure. But my point is that I can understand a woman who likes Tom Hiddleston before I can understand dude's reaction to a trailer. Very strange. Anyway, so one thing that dude and I really liked um when it well, I actually not when it came out because I didn't watch it in the theater, but uh, the man from Uncle was like a sleeper. I can't even really call it a cult classic, I guess. Oh, hold on. Before we go too deep into Man from Uncle, I did want to mention the director. I, I talked to somebody about this trailer prior. The director is Taika Waititi or Waititi. Waititi. Okay. Is that a woman? No. No, it's a guy. But he has he weird. has worked on a bunch weird, of different weird little stuff. nerdy looking guy but he's done stuff like eagle versus shark and he was one of like the guys who started i think flight of the concords so he's apparently got a really good sense of humor and he is an interesting he's got an interesting eye i haven't seen any of his other stuff but you know i'll i'm, I'm willing to give him a chance just because some other people were like no he this guy's pretty good it's something different yeah he's different anyway i'm sorry tracy go ahead yeah I, i'll definitely see this in theaters which I haven't been that excited for a Thor movie in a while, so or at all. Ever. Yeah. Um, so, Man from Uncle, so there's this kind of fun, funky rumor that's going around. Uh, the article I'm looking at was dated April 17th, so literally today. 
The Man from Uncle film that starred Henry Cavill and Army Hammer was met with mixed reviews in a soft box office. That was certainly true. I actually That's an watched understatement. It. Yeah, I watched it on Blu-ray for the first time and just thinking like it was something to put on in the background while I was doing other stuff, ended up laughing my ass off, falling totally in love with the characters. Really just, I love the sense of humor. I love the look of the film. I loved everything about it. But I mean, it, it didn't seem to go over that well with uh, cinema goers. So No, not at all. I'm looking at <laughs> Box yeah. Office Mojo. $75 million budget, $45 million domestic gross. Yep. Wolf. Yeah, so it's a little far-fetched that it might ever see a sequel. However, Army Hammer was telling a story recently in Slash Film about a conversation he had with co-writer and producer Lionel Wigram. And he says, quote, I called Lionel Wigram, the producer of the movie, and he and Guy, Guy Ritchie, the director, produced it and wrote it all together. Dude, what's the deal? I, got asked ab- I get asked about this shit all the time. Can you just re- write a sequel? He was like, you know what? Yeah, fuck it. I'll do it. Sure, I'll write a sequel. I And I was like, if you write one, I'm sure one can get made. So apparently the sequel is being written right now. No no pressure, Lytle. So, I mean, I don't know. It's unlikely with box office returns like that that it's going to get anywhere. But... I don't I mean, see it. It's probably on somebody's computer right now. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I, I watched the first one. I thought it was okay. I'm not a huge Guy Ritchie fan. Mm-hmm. I, I think the only thing that Guy Ritchie's done that I I really enjoyed was the the two Sherlock Holmes films. Yeah, they were okay. They were not my see. I I prefer Man from Uncle to the Sherlock films, but they were they were good. They were fun. I mean, I I definitely went and watched the second one based off of like my Lock, Lock Stock and one, Two so. Smoking Barrels. I thought yeah. was fucking awful. I was gonna mention Lock Stock and Two Smoking Barrels because a lot of people like that one, and Snatch. I never saw Snatch, which is basically just... his early stuff. With yeah. the man from Uncle, I think they just they marketed it poorly. I had no idea going into it what it was about, and I know that it was a remake of a really old TV show, but I had no idea what the TV show was. I think, dude, you had already seen the TV show years ago, so mm-hmm. you knew exactly what this was going to be going in. I had no idea. It really was the sense of humor that caught me off guard. I really enjoyed that, and I thought there was a lot of chemistry between the main characters. So yeah, I mean, like yeah. it's it, his. Last movie was Man from Uncle, but then the next one coming up is King Arthur, and that also looks like just flaming turd. Yep. Yeah. And you gotta think like he also has the distinction of directing Swept Away, which like I believe before Geely came out was considered one of the worst movies ever made. Oh God. Swept and he married Madonna. Nothing. Although married although Madonna. Jennifer What's Her Face looked really awesome in that movie. Well, she looks really awesome. Pretty much all the time. Like she's yeah. she ages quite well. Yeah, really say. remarkable. Is her ass still insured for like one point five million? I know it was at one time. I'm sure it is. I'm just wondering how many goats she has to sacrifice to keep that figure. <laughs> They're all named Taylor Swift. Yeah. <laughs> does it, does it matter she has the money for it? <laughs> yeah. Did you see that video of the guy? He's like, he, he starts filming a goat. He's like, this is really happening. There's a goat out here. Hello, goat. Are you a friendly goat? I don't have any food. And then he goes, oh, my God. It's a fucking llama. It's a llama. And the llama comes walking up to him. He's like, what is going on? No, I did not see that video, but now I want to look it up. All right, so since we have been fairly off the rails here, let's, let's attempt to get back on them and talk about the Infinity Gauntlet. So Infinity okay. Gauntlet, it ran from July to December of 1991. It's written by Jim Starlin and art by George Perez and Ron Lim. And it was written by the same guy the whole time. I had to go check because there was a hard, a positive turn in like issue four. Whereas the first few issues, I was like, oh, the writing's kind of eh, mediocre. And then all of a sudden it got really good. So, so 
a little bit of history, and I, I mean, I can I can give a significantly larger history. So the re- first off, the entire reason we're reading this is because this lines up very nicely with what I was reading at the time for a what has now actually been made official. I'm, I'm hosting a panel at Tidewater Comic Con. Uh, doing awesome. a, a, brief, a brief history of the Infinity Stones. So this fit in nicely with where I happen to be reading at the time. But Jim Starlin is really kind of the brains for a long time behind the Marvel cosmic stuff. And and like leading into this, he's the one who kind of developed a lot of these ideas and then brought them into, into and then out of Infinity Gauntlet. He basically Tolkienized the Marvel Universe is what you're saying. I don't know if I'd say he would, he Tolkienized the Marvel universe. He it took became a, an actual universe. Yeah, he, he took a couple. Well, he gave it its mythos. Is what is that what you're saying? No. So basically, what Jim Starlin did is he he took a couple of like random characters that had kind of just been floating around and like started bringing some of these ideas together. And when I say Marvel cosmic, I mean like the stuff out in outer space. That's that's what I mean by Marvel cosmic. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, you're not talking about like the Celestials or anything like that. No, the Celestials actually go back to Jack Kirby. Okay. No, yeah. So like, but like, he took a lot of these different ideas, and like, started aiming them towards Infinity Gauntlet. So like, Adam Warlock and the the Infinity Gems and a lot of that other stuff. He started really kind of shaping where those particular story pieces were going, and then he got to Infinity Gauntlet, and then, I mean, kept going through Infinity Gauntlet, the aftermath, Infinity War, and Infinity Crusade. And I actually just finished up the the stuff he he was working on. Uh, he goes through most of the run of uh, Warlock and the Infinity Watch. So the only question that I had pressing while I was reading this is, how did Thanos come into possession of all six of these? How, how did he get? Because that was just it was when you start, you basically have the two footprints, kind of like that little prayer footprint thing you used to see in people's bathrooms in the 90s except thanos isn't the kind of god to carry people i guess right and <laughs> total there's two footprints and then and then there's only one yeah but, but then there's like this the big thing that just says god which gave me a good laugh when i started but it was kind of like thanos it appears like he under the radar gets these stones is how what's the what's the quick setup to that so it's actually in a few issues prior to this Thanos is brought back from the dead, basically resurrected by death herself. Thanos had made a promise to death to bring balance back back to the universe because there were more people living now than had ever than had ever lived before, so there's more basically living now than there are dead throughout all history. So she tasks Thanos with killing half of the universal population. Mm-hmm. Which I'm totally down with, by the right. way. As long as I get to start picking the, the, the half. Yeah, as long as I'm not in that half. Oh, uh, yeah. Sorry. So how, how does he get... How does he come Dude, just class right over that. He went right over his head. I didn't go over his head. He just ignored it. This is how, this is how we function. No, so, so when Death brings him back, he, in, in Death's lair, there is what's called the Infinity Well, which basically... If you stare at it long enough, you can glean various ancient knowledge. It's kind of a little nebulous there. But death, but Thanos realizes that there are these six infinity stones out there. And at one point, he had actually collected five of them earlier. 
but he didn't understand their full potential. So after that first failed collecting of them, he goes back and in a it's a two issue mini series. Thanos goes and basically either steals or tricks the guardian of each of the gems out of the gem. So they're they're pretty much all guarded by what are referred to as as the elders of the universe. Um, mm-hmm. So they're characters like the collector, who we see in Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, the Grandmaster, who, speaking of the Thor Ragnarok trailer, is uh, played by Jeff Goldblum. So he is able, through that, to collect all six of them. And because he has this newfound knowledge, he understands how the gems can be used in conjunction with one another to basically rule all of existence. And then there's a great, like, six-issue run of Silver Surfer where Thanos basically beats the crap out of Surfer and and Drax. And then Mm -hmm. Surfer goes, oh, I probably need some help. And in the beginning of Infinity Gauntlet, we see Silver Silver Surfer having crashed through uh, Doctor Strange's window. And that's basically the end of that Silver Surfer run is the start, is, is him crashing through that window. Gotcha. Okay, so it coincides with this. Yeah. Is there any explanation for why Thanos is in love with death or is it just because she brought him back and so there's some sort of weird psychological thing? Or No, he, he it... had been in love with death pretty much the whole time. Yeah, almost and... from the moment go. I did a little research on that. It was kind yeah. of like once he met her, he kind of fell for her, almost operatically. Well, and, yeah, and I, the, I the thing is, Thanos, yes. Thanos is in love with death, not just the personification, but the concept you know, it that is really, really interesting because at the very end, where do I where did I put this? Oh no, 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 I'm not sorry, it's not at the end, it's in issue one. Thanos refers to his he killed the woman who brought him into this hell that is life. And so I I wrote down here he's in it's interesting that he insists on being all powerful. However, he's seeking death's approval. And he means death with a little d and death with a big d. Right. Well, and keep d. keep in mind the name Thanos is derived from Thanatos, which is the Greek god, of, Greek personification of death. It's it's really some really clever character development and wordplay in a lot of this dialogue. There is, um, especially in the last three issues, I would say, really great stuff. Let me just find out what do you guys actually think of the think think of the book, dude. Let's start with you, just because I know you said this is this is out of your comfort zone. I mean, I thought it was okay. Uh, I was not the biggest fan of the artwork, but this is par for the course for, I think, that era. So I wasn't too hard on it. Very it was much a so. lot of, Yeah, it was a lot of white backgrounds, which just kind of bugged me. Like, throughout a lot of the book, you have these really bright white backgrounds where sometimes it just looked like the characters were standing in a void. And that, that always kind of got me. Past that, I mean, it was exciting, but I couldn't quite sink my teeth into this one the way I might have been able to with other ones, just because at least the way this book felt like it was constructed, it was you really needed to know the background already and just dive headfirst into something like this so like you you already know all the characters like there's that sequence where dr strange assembles everyone is like so these are all the people that are left here we go we're gonna go fight this guy and we're gonna set up to fight and then we're gonna do the big battle 
and it's not going to work, and then the second big battle happens, and then we got to figure a way out of this. Right. And then Providence steps in. And then when we're done, we're all back to the way things started. Right. So I, I, I guess I was left a little wanting with this one. Maybe just the setting Thanos up as a god, it just seemed kind of a little a bridge a little too far for me. Because he was, for all intents and purposes, a god. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I understand that, like at towards the in the onset of the fight, he's like, "All right, I'll cut down my omnipotence to make it a little bit easy easier." Mm-hmm. Um, but that just kind of raised more questions than it answered. So that was I was just kind of lukewarm on the whole thing, and also like. I guess Adam Warlock was supposed to be the centerpiece, the central hero of this story. And uh, it just, I just, you just didn't have an appeal to me. Yeah, Warlock, not, nothing Warlock is an him. interesting character. So given the research I've been doing, I have basically read everything involving Adam Warlock since the point at which he became Adam Warlock. Because originally he was a character named Him and mm-hmm. had, had a few appearances in, I think, Fantastic Four and then some appearances in, in Thor. Yeah, I had to look him up to and and watch and read a few things about him, and I was like, okay. Yeah. Having having read pretty much everything he's been involved with up until the, I think I'm now in the late 90s, the mid, the mid to late 90s, he is an interesting character. However, I can understand that he lacks a certain appeal. I, I kind of like the character, but that's having read all this stuff about you know, involving mm-hmm. him. He's interesting, but he's not relatable. No, very much, very, very much not so. And in fact, in, in later stuff, they make a, a, a bigger deal of the fact that he is very unrelatable. More to your point of, you know, not knowing the, like the background and stuff. Yeah, this is certainly a, an event in the moment, right? I having read this like once before without any of the background, I didn't enjoy it as much as I did coming in with all of the extra knowledge. Cause you, cause you're right. It, it did. It doesn't, it doesn't make as much sense. You don't feel as involved. The, the Marvel cosmic stuff. We're more familiar with it now because guardians of the galaxy and some of the stuff, some of the stuff that has been going on in the comics in the last mm, 10 years or so, but it was really kind of a, just like a niche part of Marvel's market at the time. So if you're, if you weren't paying attention to it, you know, a lot of this stuff would go over your head. Like Trace, you were asking to me about Pip the troll. Like he's a character who, who basically, unless you've been reading, you know, the Adam Warlock stuff, you have no idea who he is. Mm-hmm. So Tracy, well, what did you think? What I, I would say that I, I definitely understand that, but I think if you don't know all of the background, but you do know a lot of mythology, you've got a lot of cultural background, you know, a lot of biblical references. I think that you will still find a lot to enjoy out of this. And that's kind of where I was. So I knew who Gamora was. I knew who Drax the Destroyer was. But honestly, just from the Guardians of the Galaxy movie, I don't really read a whole lot of the Marvel um, cosmic stuff at all. But then you have stuff that sort of references a very a much more general. So this is actually um, issue one, page 33 of the of the issue. So I read this digitally. So um, the page numbers that dude is giving you are from the trade paperback. I'm looking at the the individual digital issues. He's, and, lo- he, um, he's looking from one printing. I've got another printing that's different and doesn't have page numbers. It's really oh, fucking irritating. 
Okay, so this is yeah. Mine is very recent. Like I, I like two weeks ago, three weeks ago, when you were telling me about this, I went and just bought it out of a local shop. Yep. Okay, so it's a, a newer printing. So this one actually, so this uh, in the digital issue, this is page thirty-three. Smile and stands bar and grills where they find Hulk. Oh yeah. Um, in issue one, and it's very clear this is supposed to be Stanley. I mean, look at that picture. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's it's very obvious. So, I mean, even if you have fairly rudimentary knowledge, there's a few things that are kind of like almost bones thrown to the more trivial fans. And then there's some fun things like Hank Pym shows up for, I think, a grand total of three panels, basically to advertise West Coast Avengers. They bring him in because Silver Surfer is damaged or hurt or injured or whatever. And so he shows up in Doctor Strange's house and he looks at him. He's like, yeah, there's nothing I can do. You should read West Coast Avengers. I'm out. And that's it. So there's a lot of fun things there. There's also, we were just talking about the Greek word for death is the basis of, or the root word for Thanos' name. The idea that Mephisto has this nefarious ulterior motive to being Thanos' best friend. A little bit of information on Nebula. There's a lot of really cool things for you to pick up on, and I don't think that you necessarily have to be an in-depth comics fan to understand it. I, You're right, I don't love the art so much. Um, and there are some inconsistencies, especially in the first three issues, where I think, okay, well, that uh, the Human Torch is listed as one of the disappeared, and then he shows up about four pages later, actually in battle. So there's stuff like that. But honestly, in issue four, I could re- I saw a hard turn in the quality of the writing, especially the dialogue, the writing, and a lot of it's narrated by Eros, who is Thanos's brother, and all of a sudden I was really captivated. And so about the time I I read the first couple of pages of issue four, I couldn't really put it down until I was done. So it's funny. I liked it. It's funny that you like the the art in the second half because that's Ron Lim and George Perez is generally considered the stronger artist. Dude's absolutely right. This is very much of, of the early nineties. Like again, having read like a bunch of Warlock in the infinity watch. I mean, that just get, it just gets more and more nineties and there's pouches and, all kinds of stuff. So, like, th- this is this is actually about two years before the comic bubble bursts, too. So, just kind of kind of to place that kind of where we are before Marvel really hits a lot of their their turmoil. Another yeah. thing that I wanted to point it out is that the more, th- and I'm not quite as much a fan of courses as Andrew is of Marvel comics, but the more I read. Uh, Nick Fury in the comics, the more I realized that while Samuel L. Jackson gave a perfectly adequate performance of someone else, he did not give a very good Nick Fury performance. Well, it's a different Nick Fury, right? This is very different. This, this is Nick Fury in the 116 universe or something? 616. 616. And the Nick Fury that you're talking about is the ultimate Nick Fury. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Well, that must be the difference then, because I'm reading this and I'm like, wow, what a completely different person this is. Um, it's it's really interesting. Yeah, Nick Fury is actually a character I need to to read more of, but because he's a character goes through all kinds of different changes throughout the years. Um, no, I mean, I I I enjoyed Infinity Gauntlet. Like I said, having read this now with a lot of the background information. There's a lot more going on here than it's just on the surface. Like you, like you were talking about Nebula, for example. Mm-hmm. Like in the uh, Silver Surfer run leading up to this, 
you find out what happened to Nebula. Right. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, I, and, I actually only got one issue into the, the prequel issues of Silver Surfer. Yeah, so. and like in a number of the... And some of the some of the stuff after, you find out more about like, you know, what's up with what's going on with Drax. And like, you know, and, and that's a character who has changed a number of different times, and, and fairly radically in terms of, I mean, th- for basically from the start of Infinity Gauntlet, and going through the whole, the whole course there, I mean, Drax is generally like, an idiot. Mm-hmm. Like he's he's half, you know, he's only got about half a brain going on there, and you get a lot more into that. So there's mm-hmm. definitely a lot more going on. I what I, I think really enjoyed about this though is they really like the scale to which. I mean, you start with basically the Avengers fighting off Thanos, and then you literally end up with Thanos fighting the universe itself, Eternity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really cool. Now, it's cool. Unfortunately, it suffers from, you know, some of the same problems. Like we talked about, dude had brought up with Lego Batman, where it just builds so big. You go, well, how the fuck are they going to end this? Mm-hmm. And that's, I, well, personally, I think that's where I think that the story is a little let, letting down, is that, you know, we end up with this, like, kind of weak ending. Yeah, I would agree. So much because you hit, you kind of hit a reset button in this story. So even just absence all the knowledge of the rest of the stuff that leads up to this. You're like, okay, so we're leading up to this really big fight. I guess I was just a little disappointed with the way they framed this conflict. Where you've got the Marvel superheroes, or I guess the cream of the crop of the Marvel Universe, are going to come together to fight this ultimate enemy. And, it doesn't matter. And yeah, it really makes no difference because he's a, a god, which always I, we understand that Mephisto tries to pull a fast one on him, but he's omnipotent. He should have known that. <laughs> like that was one of the things that kind of got me. Well, uh, he, I actually it, really liked that. I, I like it. Also, I, I mean, again, with, with the background knowledge, like Thanos for several issues before this is like, yeah, I know you're gonna, I know you're gonna pull something. Do it. Do it, I dare you. Right, but he, but if he, if if I understand the gems correctly, because I had to research them independently of this book, right. at least the way they are described, that he can, you know, he is truly omnipotent. So he sees all time at once, and is in, and because he has the space gem, he is all he can be all places at once. Right. And so it's like, so he should know exactly when it's coming. But, that's... but he's only a titan, and he's wielding the power of a god. So in 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 actuality, he he has all the power, so he is a god. But he's also only a titan, and in Greek mythology, a titan is only a half god. So but he's also fully omnipotent. So he knows if you are if you well, are aware no, that's of all time, omniscient, um, right? So he's. He's all powerful. He's ever present, and he's all knowing. But does so, he have the power to wield those skills? Is he, he shows, is his he, mind able to hold it all together? And and they make it they make it very clear that he's confused for a few moments. So he's not. I mean, a true god, the god, the creator of the universe, would be able to just switch easily from one thing to another. I don't know that Thanos can hold it all in his head at one I time. Mean, I was and they show you very clearly that, that Nebula can't. 
Well, I, I was given the impression that he could because, again, like he clearly stops time entirely. Well, exposes so, that he knows everyone's plan and then goes, you know what? I'm just going to turn this off. So it, it was it was one. He of those also has a where... weak point, right? It's death. Well, so so a, a couple things. One to do its point. He he is all of those things. Omniscient, om omnipresent. You know, he mm -hmm. is. However, the idea is because he he is a mortal. It takes him time to adapt to this mass increase in in everything. Yeah. yeah, that that's the argument they make. I I don't know that I ever, I really buy that. I mean, one would think, all right, I've got everything. You know, it's kind of like a light switch. Either it's on or it's off. Mm -hmm. at, at least that's that's the way I kind of saw it. Um, when it comes to, um, I lost my other thought there. Oh well, I would say that the end of it, it's just one issue too long, right? So. The way that Mephisto, and, and I actually wrote down, Mephisto's strategy here is pretty brilliant. Get Thanos to limit himself. But I don't know if this will translate well into a movie. And of course, you know, they're going to eventually make this into a well, movie. No, I, I imagine this will be very different from the film. From whatever film sure, they're Sure, sure. Well, if, and they're probably not going to even use this because I don't know how it would even translate into a movie. But then, so I was, I was down for it. I was like, okay, this makes sense. Absolutely. And then he becomes Eternity. Spoiler alert. And so he, he actually vacates his body, he leaves it there on the ground, and he becomes the universe. And then Evula just totally steals his Infinity Gauntlet. And I was like, okay, cool. So if they had just made this like an extra five pages in this one issue, <laughs> I think it would have wrapped up really nicely. But instead they made another whole one. And, well, and we it, had the same battle twice. The, the funny part about that is that that's basically the same strategy they, that they used against Thanos at a different time, like a different plot he had. Earlier? Yeah. Oh, so in, what you're saying is that he should have seen it coming. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's... Well, just... I, mean, I mean, they should have they should have written something different, is what I'm saying. Oh. They, they yeah. recycled the ending. That was right. So he becomes Eternity, and then the glove slips off, and he's like, wait, should have seen that coming. Again, I, I found myself kind of unconvinced with the way the writer boxes himself into a corner and then tries to sneak out of it. Well, I mean, let's be honest. And, and this is not just a comic book or a, a Marvel superhero thing. Like, this is just a general, you know, kind of plot device. How do you fight God? Like when you, when you, when you set that as your bar. Yeah. Oh, I agree. Like you, Unless you're... suddenly you have the supernatural problem, which is where like two normal humans have fought Satan. They have fought God. They have fought all the angels. And you're like, well, now what? <laughs> this well, is I like I like the way um, Preacher dealt dealt with it, and they, she just shot him in the face with a six shooter, and it worked. <laughs> like that was that seemed fine to me. But yeah, if we're gonna be ridiculous, let's take it to a whole new level. Yeah. No, oh, I mean overall, I I thought it was it was fun, and I thought it was the it was clever, but again, I didn't know that they already did that one time. Yeah. So. That probably colors it a little. Yeah, I mean, oh yeah. Overall, I enjoyed this. Is it? I enjoyed it more on the second read than I did on the first. This did is. You, were you okay with Nebula turning out to be, for lack of a better term, the real villain? Was that something that you just you guys were okay with? Because I was like, you know, I was a little disappointed because I was really looking forward to see. I didn't know going into this that the Infinity Gauntlet turned him into a god. So when that came about, when I, when I came to that point in the book, I was like, oh, okay, this is going to be kind of weird. 
And then, you know, to Tracy's point, like, Nebula becomes the bad guy, and it goes on for an additional issue with the same stuff all over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, I never and really I... saw Nebula as the bad guy. I just saw her as basically the transition between Thanos and Adam Warlock. Ah, okay. Yeah, I, I've been... It was one of those things like, well, now we have to work together. <laughs> it's like, okay. Yeah. Moving on from here, Thanos becomes a very interesting character for quite a while before he goes, like, straight up villain again. Mm-hmm. And, and this is this by far is the best of, again, like, the three Infinity titles. Uh, Infinity, Infinity War is... Um, very choreographed, like you can see exactly what's coming. In part because they narrate what's hap- like what's coming. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Infinity Crusade just plays way he- way more heavily on the messianic tones for Adam Warlock. And that Ooh, can, oh, that can, I, see, and it, I saw that. I was like, that please gets just really don't make boring. him a messiah. Yeah, yeah, that's annoying. But I would love to see more of Farmer Thanos. That looked wasn't, awesome. Wasn't Adam Warlock's original design to be somewhat inspired by as a messianic character? That was kind of his original intent. Yeah, right. well, basically, um, yeah. Jim Starlin had been watching Jesus Christ Superstar. That's it. Yeah, I knew, yeah that's it. So, so he didn't. Yes, so that. he didn't. Jim Starlin did not create Adam Warlock. Uh, I actually believe Roy Thomas created Adam Warlock. Mm-hmm. But about halfway through the run of Adam Warlock, Jim Starlin took over, and that's when he took more of that messianic. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 he embraced that messianic turn more mm-hmm. and it's funny because I think in other places where Jim Starlin does that it works well enough it's not gonna it's not amazing but it works works pretty well but it, by the time you get to Infinity Crusade it's just you know it's just slathered on so heavy yeah yeah and and even in this you can kind of see it coming even though it, it they don't really it, it's more undertones than overtones, but it, it it's definitely coming. And even the way that he took on the Infinity Gauntlet and talked about how he was going to be a benign di- dictator, and I'm like, benign, a benign deity, yeah, yeah, ugh, ugh. Oh, you would prefer chaos, really? And I'm like, yeah, I would prefer chaos. At least in chaos, you know that nobody's got the upper hand. Yeah, I mean, you know, this is one of the times. Let's be honest, it's '90s comics. This mm-hmm. is not exactly the era that is known for its subtlety <laughs> or its its elegance in writing. No, this is true. I mean, I actually found it like surprisingly like outlandish. I didn't expect Marvel to because we had we we've just recently done the Incal, right? Now the Incal, right? You, you can easily say to me, well, if you like the Incal or Meta Barons, which are just really outlandish sci- Euro sci-fi, then you shouldn't have a problem with Marvel sci-fi. And I could. I could meet you halfway on that argument. But this, at least to me, went really out there, where it was just kind of, it was becoming a little much. Well, I would say, like, the Incal, you know, like, it's it's outlandish in the, like, I took a fistful of drugs outlandish. Correct. Mm-hmm. Infinity Gauntlet is the watch what I can top myself with now kind of outlandish. Yeah. yeah, it was just like, let's just do, let's just get crazy. And again, this is a pet peeve of mine. And so I, I'm not I'm not really trying to knock the book in terms of of its content or, or or its its substance, but just the fact that Nebula, when she picks up the gauntlet, goes, "All right, 
everything's back to the way it was 24 hours ago. I went, well, there's a letdown. Well, yeah. then, and then, and then she's shriveled again, and he right. reaches for <laughs> and is like, "Ha ha, you idiot!" I mean, and he's I, like, "Nope, I fixed that too." No, I. While I agree, like the the reset button was kind of kind of a letdown. I did like the "Oops, I forgot" part. Right. I mean, yeah, very very Twilight Zone esque. Like, uh, yeah. you know, you're asking the devil for a wish, so he's gonna yep. give it to you as you know, very bedazzled. But it was that was kind of my beef with this. It was like, here's this big battle that you know, my just understanding of it from an outsider was like, here's this really cool battle, and really, it's inconsequential. This, yeah, this book is almost as significant as a non-canonical one-shot. I, I would almost argue that it's more important as a setup to things that follow. Mm. Which is an odd I mean, thing to I say for this kind of book. I don't know what comes after it. Right. Know? But like, just, just kind of thinking about that now, like, is it with, with what I've read? And I'm sitting here going, you know, this is, this is almost more important as a setup for like the next two events and all the other comics that come than 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 anything else. It's really bizarre mm. from that perspective. Mm. So I have one question. Does Death hate Thanos or does she not care or is she a mute? Um cuz she doesn't say a damn word. She does not mm-hmm. and the only time I've seen her speak is I think during you think it was the aftermath from Infinity War. I think and and it it appears like only basically in a dream of Thanos's so she may or may not have actually spoken yeah it it's very unclear she doesn't hate Thanos uh in this book she her she has fairly she has a fair amount of animosity towards Thanos because he is basically he stole a lot of power. Yeah, he basically made her, her subservient. Yeah. Um. But beyond that, I think it's more the Thanos has basically willed himself to fail several times. Mm-hmm. And, and Adam Warlock really talks about that. Yeah. Well, I mean, they talk about it in here, and you see it elsewhere. Vision mentions it that the only other time that the Avengers have been able to beat Thanos is when he has subconsciously wanted them to. And basically, because of that, death is like, you know... You're a little bitch. Yeah, when when, when, like when are you going to get your shit together? That's fair. So That's fair. But it just it's funny to me that she just sort of stands off to the corner and looks out into the graveyard, and she doesn't say a damn thing the whole time. And it really makes her seem like very mysterious and very cool and maybe very smart. But then you also have to think that she sort of handed the Infinity Gems to Thanos and gave him all of this stupidity. And so well, is no, she, she really that so bright? She didn't provide the gems to him. And in fact, she's actually rather offended he has assembled the gems in such a fashion. Yeah, but she gave him the, the tools to do so. That was not very good. Not really. I, oh, I'm, then I must have misread the text because I thought that she was... She had essentially brought him back from the dead and, and given him at least the tools to assemble the gems she, she in brought order him, to wipe out She all. brought him back from the dead so that he could wipe out half of the universe's population. But she did not... This, like... she, yeah, she didn't expect him to use the Infinity Gems. He he garnered that information on his own by contemplating the Infinity Well. Gotcha, gotcha. Also, I've never used the word Infinity more in my life than I have in like the last month. 
You've certainly used the phrase "let's be honest" more times than I've heard you in in, in a long time. Well, I mean, let's be honest. It's what well, it's '90s comics. Yeah. <laughs> if we can't be honest about the questionable decisions that were made in comics in the '90s, I mean, what can we do? Yeah, you know, when it's staring you in the face like that. Yeah. No, that's true. It's it's. You just sit there and go, some of the decisions in this comic just are strange. Like, what the hell is Captain America and Spider-Man going to do? Right. Like, really? Like, and it is kind of funny. Like, just, I guess, nitpicking it a little bit. Like, the whole battle sequence is you bring all these big superstars of the comic book world to just kind of get their... Bo- I mean, Quasar's hands just melt. Yep. And his only... It's like, oh, not again. And that's it. <laughs> That was so sad. Like, okay. It sounded like a, then, a kid's cartoon. Keep in mind, this is this is the same era of comics that gave rise to Deadpool and Rob Liefeld. Yeah, and then it's like Adam Warlock talks to Wolverine and, and Hulk like they're going to be important players. Yeah. And Hulk gets smacked so hard, he doesn't come back to the battle. Or no, actually, no, Thanos gets huge and, like, slams tries to crush him, and then it's just the last you see of him. Well, then, like, Wolverine, it, Wolverine stabs him. And you're like, and oh, gets, sweet. Uh, oh, okay, that didn't work. Yeah, it just gets twisted into, like, a pretzel. And then I love the how, like, Silver Surfer... On top. Oh, no. No, Silver Surfer oh, was the one, like, he was going to be the gambit move. And then, he like, just swings and a miss. he missed. <laughs> it's, it, it's, and it's the lamest gambit move ever. It's wait for it, and all right, now try and grab it. Yeah, it's like... And he that's... waited for it for like an entire issue too. It wasn't like, it like a little, a little bit like, oh, time it. No, it was just like, no, your time has not come. No, your time has not come. And, All right now. Oh no, nope, nope, that didn't work. Okay. What? <laughs> yeah, like there were some really great moments in this book, and there are also some really like, what in the god's name are you doing moments in this book? I love the cu- there. There were a lot of cubes. And a lot of like blocks in the last couple of issues. One of which was, you know, on Cyclops's head. <laughs> well, who was the character Just... who got, got literally got turned into Legos? Was that Bullet? Uh, or... Wait, which one was that? I remember no, which Nova. one you were talking about. Nova. There you go. I don't know. I don't know. Superheroes. No, but that's hilarious. Like you seem like blocks, little kids' blocks. Okay, now you are. I'm like that led right into the Lego Batman movie. Only that's the wrong universe. Yeah. I do like the part where, like, Eros is, like, narrating it. That's the one thing I appreciated was that Eros finally becomes the singular narrator because you had so many different ones in those first couple issues. Yeah. And he's kind of doing a play-by-play. And he's like, oh, wait. Hope. Oh, never mind. It's Nebula. <laughs> like, that was that part <laughs> did make me laugh. Like, oh, never mind. It just, again, the writing just got really good. And then that moment, there was that moment where... Thanos just sort of like smashes down on Cap Shield and it shatters. And there was actually surprisingly a lot of emotion in that panel. So I, I liked it. it yeah. I thought the I thought the last three issues were pretty spectacular in, as far as dialogue and writing. But yeah, all right. so I, th- anyway. I think we've we've said all we're going to say on this one. I agree. All right, so dude, what have you been into? Um, so I did buy a new board game. I thought I thought the rule was only expansions. Yeah, that was the rule. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so like, Which, all right we're, we're acknowledging this. Okay, that's fine. What I did, well, I did buy an expansion. I got um. So you bought an expansion yoga. and a new game. 
and a new game. So, so the uh, <laughs> character Yoga from the uh, the Robert E. Howard Conan story, um, Elephant, Elephant, the, the Heart of the Elephant. Okay. So he's an expansion character from the original Conan. So I got that, and then I ran across this game at this local store. It was like literally in a folder. It's a war game in a little folder. Uh, called uh, called the Folio Game Series, and it was um, the Battle of Man- of oh, what was the name of this battle? Oh, Marengo. I almost called it Manegro, but that would be weird. Uh, uh, Marengo, and a lot of people don't know this about Napoleon. Is is you know a lot of people know about like the disaster in Russia, Waterloo, the great victory of Austerlitz, the Battle of the Pyramids, or even his first campaign in Italy. And this is a battle for his second campaign in Italy. It's like what people forget is he he wins all these victories in Italy, goes to Egypt. Egypt doesn't work out very well. He's actually able to spin it in his favor, goes back to France, becomes first consulate. But in that time, all his gains in Italy are lost, and he conducts a second Italian campaign. Um, So that's what this – and it's crazy because it's like a little folder and some counters and a map. And I was like, I gotta try this. It doesn't. It doesn't even take up much space. It's literally just a folder. So I was like, Well, this this is cheating. That that's I'm okay with. <laughs> uh, Dude's obsession with Napoleon continues. Yeah, I was like, I can't pass up this Napoleonic game because games like this you see like once every ten years. Right. And they never they never come back. It's not ever. something you can Google either. Like those are the types of things that never really show up in an internet search ever yeah. afterward. And you're like. What is that one thing I saw that one time? Yeah, yeah. And if you don't if you don't remember the name, if you're not even remotely close, like you'll never find it. There's an anime yep. I saw when I was like seven that's like that, where I just like I can still see images of it in my head, and I have no fucking clue what it is. Yeah, and believe me, like that was like when they were on the Sci-Fi Channel, and you're just like, uh, I don't get it. But there was I was watching this show in between playing a new campaign of Total War Napoleon and Total War Warhammer. Oddly enough, as the Bretonians in Warhammer, so it's like that kind of dual French thing going there. Because uh, in Warhammer, the Bretonians are kind of a uh, a faction based on Arthurian legend, but overlaid with a French medieval skin. Right. Uh, kind of had this anime in the background called Assassination School. Oh, man. Um, Chris is a big Chris and Jess are big fans of that. It's goofy. It's really goofy. Yeah. But but it, I guess a good kind of goofy. Uh. And then we watched this documentary the other day called The Red Pill, which is about kind of the struggles that a group called, like, men's rights activists have. And it's about a two-hour documentary. I didn't know what to think about it going into it, but I'm going to have to watch it again because it actually wasn't that bad. The woman who did it is a woman named Cassie J, and she... She did a darn good job putting this documentary together. I was really impressed with just how how it was very really really well balanced and edited and the interviews were good and there were a lot of like really solid points and there was very little filler. So I was I was impressed. I was really impressed and I started going to do my second read through of Orwell's Down and Out in London and Paris. Mhm. So that's a I'm actually quite jealous that you got your panel and then like Tracy and I have been like hounding <laughs> PhoenixCon for uh 
for like a couple of weeks now. And they're like, oh, we'll get back to you on the 23rd. And I'm like, dude, all the hotel rooms will be gone by the 23rd. Yeah, it, it's a little I, I, I'm and, and apparently they're redoing like the whole thing. They're sort of downsizing. They're trying to emphasize quality over quantity. All good things. But I mean, we had a lot of sounds good. In we had theory, a lot of fun but, at Phoenix last year, but it was a little on the on the crowded side. As far as, like, people or as far as, like, what to do? Like, there's too much to do? I think on the people side. I mean, I think what to do. We had a lot of fun. Yeah, a lot of fun. That's that's definitely a convention I want to go back to. I was just thinking about this the other day. Actually, it popped up in my time hop on my Facebook saying that, you know, like, I was headed to Phoenix at this time, you know, or I was at least planning for Phoenix this time, like, two years ago or three years ago. And I was like, damn it, I miss Phoenix. So I'd love, I'd love to go that, to that one. And I'd also like to go, uh, for me, for the first time to Emerald City Comic Con. Emerald City is a great time. Yeah. But, uh, I, but I yeah, just, so like, hopefully. Yeah, we'll yeah we're it. waiting until the 20. I'm like, I don't think we're going to get this one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm concerned. Well, I wonder if those same guys like applied for it a second time. And they're like, between the guys they already had or a new person on the same subject. I don't know. Um and then I'm working on a panel possibility. It's not really a topic yet because I haven't really delved into it as much. There's plenty of research and there's plenty of information. I just wonder if there's a little too much to boil down into like, you know, 45 minutes worth of actual talking. Um, but yeah, yeah. You're just going to have to apply to Tidewater next year, dude. Sorry. <laughs> That's the trace. What days are Tidewater, by the way? Since you've got a panel, what days are they? It is believe it is May 13th and 14th. Let me check that. Okay. I think so, too, because I will actually be in Ireland that weekend coming home. Thir- yeah, May, May 13th and 14th in Virginia Beach. Okay. Is it twice a year or is it just once a year? Uh, just once a year. Although the, the folks who put on Tidewater Comic Con are also putting on a few other events. What well, Didn't it used to be twice a year? Uh, it was twice the first year. Basically, they did a a proof of concept and then a an actual like a, a full one day convention. Gotcha. So Tracy, what about you? What have you been into? Um, well, I read American Gods finally, so I have just been like floored by this book and by Neil Gaiman. So I'm probably going to pick up some more stuff by him. Um, I mean, I knew it was going to be good, and I've read other stuff by him, but nothing that just left me sort of wishing for more. You know, you know the feeling when you get done with a book and you're like I want there to be more but it has to be this exact thing um, it can't be a sequel it can't even be something else that's similar it's got to be this um, so that was really really good um, as far as what I've been watching I actually haven't been watching a whole lot mostly reading I'm still working on a couple of other books and just recently picked up a book on the Inklings which is the reading and writing group that was started by C.S. Lewis, J.R.R. Tolkien, Charles. Um, I'm going to lose the the names of them real quickly. I'm going to have to pull it up. Um, and Owen Barfield, Charles Williams. I'm sorry, and Owen Barfield. And then I think there was a grand total of between 11 and 13 members at any given time over a long period. And people would come and people would go depending on um, what their lives were taking them to do. A lot of them were professors, so they would go to different colleges. And that was actually really neat. I actually went and visited the Library of Congress finally for the first time, the Thomas Jefferson Building, which is the main building, with the Great Hall and actually houses Thomas Jefferson's original library of books. 
And that was just an amazing tour. They had a whole bunch of maps of North and South America, pre-colonies, pre-Columbus, pre-Cortez, a lot of pre-Cortez stuff. And then they had these huge paintings that described Cortez's conquering of the peninsula and all that area. Um, what was can... the name? What was the name of the authors that did the the book you got on the Inkling? I don't know. A, the, is it the a husband and wife book? Um, hang on one second, and I will I will look for you. Um, well, the only reason why I ask is because like one of my favorite radio hosts did like a three part interview with these two authors who wrote a book called The Fellowship: The Literary Lives of the Inkling. That's it. That's the book. C.S. Yeah. Lewis. Yeah, so I can actually send you like a three-part interview. That would be amazing. Author. That would be amazing. Yeah, and and so far just dipping into it, it seems really good. And of course, I've done a lot of reading on my own over the years about these because C.S. Lewis is, of course, my favorite author, and J.R.R. Tolkien is a very close second. Um, I'm also always interested in Owen Barfield and Charles Williams, and of course, there were a bunch of other amazing authors that were a part of this, and they would meet all the time at the Eagle. And the baby, which they, or the eagle and the child, which they called the bird and the baby. The baby. <laughs> uh, it was the, the eagle and the child was the name of the pub. They called it the bird and the baby as, as a nickname. Um, but that was really fun. And um, so just touring, touring the Library of Congress and getting to see all these really, they have a, a bunch of temporary exhibits that come and go. And then you kind of get to walk over this platform and balcony area that looks out over the main reading room and down into what people typically think of as the library of congress where, with the the desks that are right next to each other and the, the little reading lamps with the green shades and stuff it was pretty cool so getting to go through there was really neat and they actually had an entire exhibit on comic book art and politics which is really neat and so we got to go through there and they had some Spider-Man and a few other mainstream things, and then a lot of, of course, political cartoons. Like you Literally. know, the good, the good kind, where it's like obvious, like they intended for it. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So that was a lot of fun, but uh, that's basically what I've been doing. What about you, Andrew? Let's see. Um, well, Becky and I just got back from a trip out to the eastern part of Virginia, so we went to like Shenandoah National Park. Got to do some fun hiking. Went to Luray Caverns. Because Becky loves caves and enclosed spaces, so we had a lot of fun with that. Uh, turns out Becky is not currently quite as capable of hiking as she was hoping, because we they have an American with Disabilities Act compliant trail in Shenandoah, which, huh. is, which is really just like flat and gentle, and we were still, you know, she was still huffing and puffing pretty good by the end of that. <laughs> So, well, that happens when you know you're creating another human. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> uh, aside from that, I have been. I was listening to some Star Wars audiobooks. I started the new one called Thrawn by Timothy Zahn. And it's basically this is the new Thrawn, right? This it's is not the, the new, old Thrawn. This is, right, this is the new Thrawn. This is the in canon uh, Thrawn book. It's funny because I'm listening to the audiobook, and both. Uh, and I just finished re-listening to the Thrawn trilogy. And it's, the old one. Yep. And it's the same author. It's, it's Timothy Zahn on both, in both cases. And it's actually the same person reading the book. Huh. And Thrawn sounds completely different. Oh, really? I, I think the new, the new voice for Thrawn is he's trying to match the voice from Star Wars Rebels. Mm-hmm. 
And I just don't like it as much. Hmm. And I've also been playing a Star Trek mobile game called Star Trek Timelines for the last four or five days. I've been having a lot of fun with that. I kept seeing ads for it on like Facebook and stuff. I'm like, all right, fine. Fuck you, I'll download it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a fairly standard mobile game, you know. A lot, yeah. of, a lot of microtransaction kind of stuff they want you to do, and I'm just like, nah, I'm oh, good. Nah, you don't yeah. Yeah. But other than that, no, I mean, I've uh, been, been reading a lot of in, uh, Infinity-based titles. I think my the reading... You're actually blasting through that yeah, pretty quickly. The reading, list, the reading list that I had generated for this panel is 196 issues, and I am 72% of the way through it. I actually, I made, a, I actually made like a spreadsheet so I can track this. Like, how far am <laughs> like, like how far along am I? Because like, I feel like I'm making good time, and then it was like, you're at thirty six percent, and I'm like, oh fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> well, that old stuff is a little hard to slog. No, it it is. I mean, the the first few issues of like of like Adam Warlock, you know, they would take me forty five minutes to an hour to get through an issue because they're just so heavy. And now it's like, now I'm down to almost 15 minutes an issue. So. Oh, that's good. That's yeah, a lot easier. It makes a big difference. So. All right, folks, if you like what we do, make sure you head over to therefaregeek.com and check out our blog posts on our podcasts. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can find this podcast and other podcasts like it on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher. Uh -huh. So once again, I'm Andrew. I'm Tracy. I'm Duder. And you've been listening to Therefore I Geek.